You're listening to the Anesthesia Patient Safety Podcast, the official podcast of the Anesthesia Patient Safety Foundation. We're bringing you the very best from the APSF newsletter and website, as well as the latest information in perioperative patient safety. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to the Anesthesia Patient Safety Podcast. My name is Allie Bechtel, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us for another show. We are jumping into the October 2023 APSF newsletter today. We have a novel, possibly practice-changing show all about a novel, possibly practice-changing medication, Remy Mazalam. Before we dive into the episode today, we'd like to recognize Merck, a major corporate supporter of APSF. Merck has generously provided unrestricted support to further our vision that no one shall be harmed by anesthesia care. Thank you, Merck. We wouldn't be able to do all that we do without you. Our featured article is Remy Mazalam. Patient Safety Considerations of a Novel Practice-Changing Drug in Perioperative Medicine by Arnie Absejo and Miguel Teixeira. To follow along with us, head over to APSF.org and click on the newsletter heading. First one down is the current issue. Then scroll down until you get to our featured article today. Before we dive into the article, we are going to hear from one of the authors. Here he is now. Hello, my name is Miguel Teixeira, and I'm an anesthesiologist and intensivist at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. To kick off the show today, I asked Teixeira what got him interested in this topic. Let's take a listen to what he had to say. At first, I heard about Remy Maslin from some colleagues at work. I was immediately intrigued by its pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics. Fast onset, short acting, reversible. As a neuroanesthesiologist and intensivist, I knew benzodiazepines as a whole had an appealing profile, favorable effects on respiratory drive and hemodynamics, and its effects on neurophysiology even. Yet I actually rarely used them. Why? Well, as a whole, benzodiazepines had a slower rate of loss of consciousness and a longer context-sensitive half-life compared to other available agents. Also. I was concerned about the potential deleterious neurologic recovery side effect profile. With that in mind, together with some colleagues in the Division of Neuroanesthesia, we started researching Remy Maslam's role specifically as it pertains to neurosurgery and in those patients with neurologic diseases. Now we are all excited to learn more about this new medication. Have you used Remy Maslam before? Do you have it available at your institution? Remy Maslam is an IV, short-acting, and ultra-fast onset benzodiazepine that acts as a potent sedative hypnotic, anxiolytic, anticonvulsant, and muscle relaxant. The name was designed to remind you of the therapeutic effects of midazolam and the unique metabolism of Remy fentanyl. 
Remy Maslam has been used for procedural sedation in Asia and Europe since it was first released in China in 2019 for use in gastrointestinal endoscopy. The use has expanded to general anesthesia in Japan and Korea, as well as IV sedation in Belgium. In July 2020, in the United States, the FDA approved Remy Maslam for induction and maintenance of sedation for adults undergoing procedures lasting 30 minutes or less. There are many reported off-label uses as well. Over the past three years, this drug has not been acquired by many institutions or used in large clinical practice. The author shared the experience at their institution, the Mayo Clinic, which is one of the first major academic centers in the United States to incorporate Remy Maslam in perioperative and periprocedural practice, including over 5,000 patients and over 20,000 doses administered. We are going to take a journey through the literature and the clinical experience at the Mayo Clinic to discuss the unique pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics, as well as the known limitations, adverse events, and contraindications. The authors also provide key clinical practice implications and help to identify existing knowledge gaps for safe, widespread adoption. First up, let's talk about the pharmacology. The mechanism of action is to enhance the gamma-aminobutyric acid type A, GABA-A, inhibitory receptors, leading to increased frequency of opening of ligand-gated chloride ion channels. Following administration, there is minimal cardiac or respiratory depression. When compared to midazolam, there is faster onset and dose-dependent sedation and about half the potency for procedural sedation the sedative effects can be reversed with flumazenil. Table 1 in the article is a great quick reference guide for Remy Maslam, which includes the pharmacology and dosing. I will include it in the show notes as well. Let's go through it now. Remy Maslam is a benzodiazepine with the following characteristics. Sedation time, 11 to 14 minutes. Time of peak effect, 3 to 3.5 minutes following one dose, and 11 to 14 minutes following multiple doses. Half-life elimination, 37 to 53 minutes. Metabolism is esterase-dependent. Distribution, 0.76 to 0.98 liters per kg. Excretion is via urine. Protein binding is greater than 91% primarily to albumin. What all this means is that Remy Maslam has a relatively high clearance, a small steady-state volume of distribution, shorter elimination half-life, and a short context-sensitive half-time compared to other benzodiazepines or propofol. This medication is highly bound to protein and metabolized by liver carboxyl esterase before being excreted in the urine. Remy Maslam is water-soluble. After dilution into a solution, it is painless when injected. Remy Maslam is most soluble in slightly acidic solutions and can precipitate in lactated or acetated Ringer solution. Check out figure 1 in the article, which depicts Remy Maslam precipitation in plasmolite. 
You can administer remimazlam through Y-Site co-administration with other common anesthetic medications, including remifentanil, fentanyl, dexmedetomidine, midazolam, rocuronium, and vecuronium. The remimazlam approved in the United States is by Favo, which is prepared in a 20 milligram powder vial, which is meant to be drawn up into 8.2 ml of sterile 0.9% sodium chloride, which results in 2.5 milligrams per ml after being reconstituted. The FDA labeling recommends the following. Inject 2.5 to 5 milligrams over one minute, followed by supplemental doses of two 1.25 to 2.5 milligram doses IV over a 15-second time period after at least two minutes have elapsed. The authors share their experience for procedural sedation, which includes administration of 2 mg IV every 15 seconds as needed with or without analgesic adjuncts such as ketamine or opiates. Induction of general anesthesia involves the administration of a 0.2 to 0.4 mg per kg induction dose followed by 1 to 2 mg per kg per hour. There is another great reference in the article, Figure 2, Practical Clinical Considerations. Don't worry, I will include it in the show notes, and we will go through it now. First, the pharmacodynamics. Following administration of a 0.1 mg per kg bolus of remimazlam, onset of sedation is within 60 minutes, maximum plasma concentration occurs within 1 to 2 minutes, and peak sedation lasts for 1 to 4 minutes, with the patient being fully awake in 10.5 minutes. Next, pharmacokinetic clearance. There is a rapid systemic clearance that is three times faster than midazolam. For bonus points, remember that remimazolam is hydrolyzed by CES1 into inactive metabolites, and severe hepatic dysfunction will reduce clearance by about 38%. There is a low volume of distribution and a short terminal elimination half-life. Now let's do a quick review of route and dosage. Intravenous is clear and painless, but it is incompatible with lactated ringers. Remimazlam is safe to administer by Y-site with other anesthetics. Intranasal is painful and has a bioavailability of about 50%. The oral route has very poor bioavailability of only 1-2%. to For sedation, fixed boluses may be administered in 1-5 to mg IV every 2 minutes as needed for desired effect. For general anesthesia, induction doses range from 6-12 to mg per kg per hour with maintenance rates of 1-2 to mg per kg per hour. We are going to switch our focus from clinical use of remimazlam to discuss the unknown patient safety considerations. This is not a medication with a long track record of use. It is a new medication on the scene. Fortunately, it appears to be a relatively safe medication, but we probably do not know the full impact of this medication on the clinical outcomes after use for specific surgeries or procedures or for specific patient populations. It is so important that any unexpected serious adverse events following remimazlam administration 
are reported to help improve our understanding of this novel medication in clinical practice and to help keep patients safe. The authors provide a list of important patient safety considerations or questions that we need to figure out going forward. Let's review it now. Number one, recovery in neurologically vulnerable patients. We know that benzodiazepines may increase the risk for perioperative delirium and may need to be avoided for neurologically vulnerable patients, especially the elderly. Postoperative delirium following remimazem administration only has not been extensively studied and the results may not be generalizable to larger populations or procedure types. At this time, we just do not know what the relationship is between remimazem administration and long-term postoperative neurocognitive disorders. Check out the most recent literature on Remy Maslin published this year in the Journal of Neurosurgical Anesthesiology by Teixeira and colleagues. And don't worry, I will include a link in the show notes as well. Number two, the adverse reactions in specific patient populations and surgical subtypes. The pharmacokinetic properties of remimazlim are not significantly altered in elderly patients or patients with higher ASA scores. Keep in mind that according to the FDA recommendations, you may need a slight decreased dose for these patients, as well as a reduced dose for patients with severe hepatic impairment, as evidenced by a child Pew score greater than or equal to 10 due to the concern for decreased drug clearance. For remimazlam, you do not need to change the dose for patients with severe kidney disease. Currently, there are no recommendations for administration for pediatrics, but you can find off-label case reports of remimazlam as an adjunct for general anesthesia in the literature. There are also no case reports of the use of this medication in pregnant patients. If you take care of pediatric patients, we hope that you will check out the June 2023 article in the Journal of Clinical Medicine, Remy Maslam as an Adjunct to General Anesthesia in Children, Adverse Events and Outcomes in a Large Cohort of 418 Cases by Kimoto and colleagues. Spoiler alert, the authors of that study conclude that Remy Maslam administration to pediatric patients as an adjunct to general anesthesia may be associated with hemodynamic variability which may require treatment, as well as a rapid return to responsiveness and ability to meet discharge criteria. The authors leave us with a call to action that large, multi-center trials are needed to learn more about Remy Maslam administration safety for pediatric patients. I will include the citation in the show notes as well. We still have so much more to talk about when it comes to what we don't know about Remy Maslam as well as what we do know about adverse reactions and contraindications and clinical implications. It promises to be another exciting Remy Maslam show, and we are going to hear from another APSF author who was responsible for this great article. It's a show you don't want to miss. Before we wrap up for today, I also asked Tashara, what's next for your research on Remy Maslam? Let's take a listen to what he had to say. So far, here at the Mayo Clinic, we have amassed over 20,000 uses of Remy Maslam in over 5,000 patients. 
The vast majority of these are for procedural sedation, but we've also used Remy-Maslam for the induction and maintenance of general anesthesia. I want to retrospectively review the key clinical outcomes, including adverse events. We then hope to analyze our data in a way that might help other centers. I'm also interested in Remy-Maslam use for those with very poor cardiopulmonary reserve and as an agent to treat refractory status epilepticus. Thank you so much to Teixeira for contributing to the show today. And we are very excited about your future research and learning more about Remy Maslam. If you have any questions or comments from today's show, please email us at podcast at APSF.org. Please keep in mind that the information in this show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical or legal advice. We hope that you will visit APSF.org for detailed information and check out the show notes for links to all the topics we discussed today. The all-new October 2023 APSF newsletter is here. We are so excited to continue to talk about the new articles with exclusive content from the authors right here on this podcast in the upcoming weeks. In the meantime, we hope that you will check out the new newsletter. For more anesthesia patient safety content all week long, we hope that you will follow us on Twitter at APSF.org, or you can like and share our posts on Instagram and Facebook. Before you know it, the next podcast episode will be ready to drop. Until next time, stay vigilant so that no one shall be harmed by anesthesia care.